Welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 out in Lake Charles. We are your exclusive pro wrestling podcast and hope you've been enjoying a ton of the wrestling over the last week. This will be a very special episode and we're calling it the Cajun Strong Style Award Show. We're going to get to some other stuff going on in the world of professional wrestling but I think the big meat and potatoes of this show is going to be breaking down how the voting went over on Twitter involving our wrestler of the year, match of the year, all that great stuff. So let's go ahead and get into that right now. First off, I appreciate everybody for getting in on the conversation on Twitter, getting in on the poll questions that I put up the other night. I was blown away by one, the fact that people responded, but two, jumped in and voted quite often, especially on some of the more controversial ones in terms of wrestler of the year and match of the year. I was intrigued to see how some of the voting did indeed turn out. So we'll start with male wrestler of the year and the nominees go as follows. Hangman, Adam page, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega and Roman reigns. And for the sake of Brian Danielson, it also includes his run in the WWE before he made it to AEW as Brian Danielson, because obviously those are two very different people in the sense of the way professional wrestling works, but that's a different conversation. So we went with those four for obvious reasons. Hangman Adam Page had a really big year. Kenny Omega, the best bout machine. He put on nothing but bangers. Roman Reigns, he had a phenomenal title reign over the last year. Plus, he deserves to be in this conversation. Brian Danielson This was the king of putting on bangers against anybody and everybody. And the fan vote, 36.8% went in favor of the big dog, the head of the table, the tribal chief. Roman Reigns gets the victory. 36.8% of the vote right behind him was my vote for Brian Danielson. He's, again, I said it earlier. Sometimes being the best wrestler of the year doesn't mean you have to have a strong title rank because Kenny Omega was third place in this. I think Kenny, at the end of the day, had a really strong title. Obviously, Roman had the far superior one because he never lost in 1v1. He never was in a situation where he was the one taking the L. But Brian Danielson, simply put, put on Great matches against damn near everybody. The triple threat match at Mania, all that stuff. It's impressive to see the year that he had for the WWE when he wrapped up his run. The match he had on SmackDown with Roman Reigns before he left was probably one of the best SmackDown matches I've seen in a good while. So that's a big point for them. And then we get to, obviously, all the stuff he did in AEW from the second he walked in, his first match against Kenny Omega was without a doubt one of the matches of the year, which we'll get to. But I think there's something to be said about what he's done and elevated everybody's game with the match against Adam Page at Winter is Coming. I mean, every match he had during the AEW Eliminator Tournament, those were fantastic matches. He was every time he's in the ring, he's elevating talent. We'll get to more about Brian Danielson in the here and now shortly after we get through the awards but roman reigns being the fan vote of the year for male wrestler of the year doesn't surprise me but i'm slightly disappointed that brian danielson didn't win 
But mind you, the margin of victory for Roman was very small, and it shows how much love Kenny and Brian do indeed get. Hangman Adam Page got next to no love, 5.3% of the vote. So it's clear to see that people weren't as sold on Hangman as I was, because I think Hangman had a phenomenal story, and the fact he managed to get to the end of this story arc, and it was a good ending. Yes, it felt like you delayed it a little bit, but when you realize some of the real-life context, it made perfect sense. But the second he came back, he immediately became a key factor in AEW and wound up winning the world title at full gear. It was a phenomenal moment. Now we're going to go to Female Wrestler of the Year. And the four nominees for this are Dr. Brett Baker, DMD, Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, and Deanna Perrazzo. And I'll explain why when I get to do with the males. Dr. Britt Baker, that makes sense. She's had one of the best years of a women's wrestler in a long time. How quickly she's been able to rise up the ranks and just get over. She deserves to be female wrestler of the year in a lot of respects. Bianca Belair, same kind of thing. She was able to have probably one of the best years or best like six months I've seen from a WWE NXT to main roster superstar in a long time. And Bianca Belair, I think if not for the whole Becky Lynch situation, she would have had probably a really good long reign and she would have gotten even more over. Charlotte Flair, because, well, it's Charlotte Flair. She absolutely is always in consideration of being female wrestler of the year. And Deanna Perrazzo, absolutely one of the best technical wrestlers in the world of wrestling right now, in my mind, Male or female, definitely in the top five list. I think Zack Sabre Jr., Brian Danielson, Perrazzo, and Gresham are kind of your four big ones and kind of pick and choose your number five. But the fan vote goes to Bianca Belair, and it's not even close. 66.7% of the vote, the other the other 11.1%, 33 and a third, excuse me, is split between Britt Baker, Charlotte Flair, and Perrazzo. And I'm blown away by this, but as soon as I put the poll question out on Twitter, it was immediate inundation of Bianca Belair votes. I get it, but I think Dr. Britt Baker DMD deserves so much more in terms of a female wrestler of the year award. I think she absolutely gets it, and she has been a phenomenal character to watch. More importantly, She had that moment, that breakout moment where she was kind of there for a while. But when she had that match against Thunder Rosa earlier in 2021, which is wild to think about in and of itself, that that happened in 2021. It feels like 10,000 things have happened just in the last year alone. But Britt Baker Thunder Rosa was hands down one of the best women's matches AEW's ever had. And she took that and ran with it, was able to become AEW Women's Champion and still is to this day and absolutely has become one of the like my favorite parts of Dynamite, Rampage, what have you. She's put in the work. But Bianca Belair definitely deserves a lot of love, and it was clear to see, and we'll talk about that again in a second, about how another category went with the breakout star of the year. And you'll see some familiar names with Britt Baker, Bianca Belair. I talked about Jonathan Gresham. He's in there. I think it's more the fact that he's kind of been that one to carry the torch 
and be the one carrying the flag of Ring of Honor, even before they announced that they were going to take a hiatus and then they were going to re- be reborn. And they just recently announced the main event of that show. Of course, it's going to be Gresham versus Bandito at Supercard of Honor out in Dallas. So it's Matt Cardona, Dr. Britt Baker, Bianca Belair, and Jonathan Gresham. And this one was still a little bit closer because Jonathan Gresham got no love. I'm blown away by that. But the fan vote was more mind-blowing to me because it's Bianca Belair. Again, she had a phenomenal breakout year. But I think the Becky Lynch loss and subsequent, you know, D-push, whatever you want to call it, to where she just has kind of been in a state of flux ever since then. She's never really gotten that moment to where she can get the belt back. And we're just waiting for it to play out and all of the stuff. No, it's not going to play out. This is how it's going to go. Bianca Belair has largely been used, been almost an afterthought to a certain level. My pick, though, was Matt Cardona, who was second with 33.3% of the vote. And it's mainly because Matt Cardona was able to overnight change his entire narrative to steal a phrase from EC3 and become the Internet's most hated guy. The way he's been able to run angles with Joey Janela and Effie, all those guys. like He's been running stuff for months with GCW and has made that probably, I'd say, number four promotion in all of wrestling right now. And yes, the GCW show they had, which I was going to review a few weeks ago, the GCW World Show, may not have worked out the way many wanted out in Hammerstein, but honestly, it was still a really solid show. And they probably wouldn't have ever sold out the Hammerstein the way that they did without Matt Cardona. When he had that feud with Nick Gage, that match he had at homecoming was hands down one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. And Cardona winning was the right decision. And he really knows how to do the social media game extremely well. And he started to prove that more and more every time he's on the social media gimmicks and telling people like it is what he's selling. And whatever you're selling, it's going to be a fantastic thing to see. And I like what I've noticed from Matt Cardona over the last year, he's become one of the most improved guys. I think he's going to take independent wrestling to the next level. He's scheduled to fight, you know, Trevor Murdoch not too long from now for the NWA World Heavyweight Title. I hope he wins that because that'd be a great moment for him. So I think Matt Cardona absolutely is deserving. But again, shout out to Bianca Belair and the fans that she has because it's clear to see there were a lot of people. Fans of Bianca Belair, especially when you see some of the other awards we'll get to. So we'll go ahead and flip over to Rookie of the Year. It's why I kind of separated Breakout Star Rookie of the Year. Because to a certain extent, some of these guys just broke out in a big way and were deserving of being you know, Breakout Star of the Year. But I decided to put them in a separate category, mainly because of one guy in particular, Braun Breaker. It's Braun Breaker, Hook, Jade Cargill, and Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny had an absolutely amazing rookie year. He only had one match, yes, but at the same time, it was one of the most entertaining and surprising matches of 2021. People thought it would have been a little bit of a dud, but no, the dude put in the work and worked his ass off and deserves to be in this conversation amongst rookies that people know about. So Braun Breaker, Hook, Jade Cargill, and Bad Bunny. Jade Cargill got no votes. 
it was split three ways. Braun Breaker, Hook, and Bad Bunny. A three-way tie for the fans. For me, personally, I love Braun Breaker, but Hook deserves to be Rookie of the Year here. Like, you saw this guy just on TV alone, and you were wondering when he was going to show up. And it was going to be memed into existence, his debut. And the second he showed up, the second he had that, that swagger and everything, he has absolutely become one of my favorite parts of AEW. And especially when he shows up on Rampage, it's always going to be must-watch. From the action Bronson music to the way he handles himself, the way he hooks in the Katahajime or the Red Rum, all that stuff. Hook is hands down one of my favorite guys to see. Yes, he's just getting started, but he already looks so damn clean and smooth in the 20 by 20 squared circle. Braun Breaker absolutely deserves to be a guy that's in that conversation in terms of rookie of the year. But I think Hook blew him away because of the immediate reaction everybody had. His first match was literally him just squashing Fuego Del Sol, but damn, if that wasn't entertaining. And he looked so crisp from the second he set foot in the ring. There were moments Braun Breaker in his first year where you saw those cracks of a rookie. Hook just looked like clean as hell. There were no issues that I had from any match that I saw of him. And the fact that he has that it factor. He's got that going for him. So here we are with Tag Team of the Year. And it's the Young Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, the Usos, and FTR. And this is where, for the first time in this vote, me and the fans did indeed agree. And it wasn't even close with 75% of the vote. It is the Lucha Bros. Young Bucks or FTR did not get any of the love, which I was kind of surprised about. But I understood. Because the Lucha Brothers were absolutely killing it, not just in America, but also in Mexico. Triple A. They were crushing it on that perspective as well. I think the Lucha Bros, this was their year. Winning the AW Tag Team titles in that phenomenal steel cage match which was very much like close to being match of the year for me personally. But of course, we wound up getting a lot more bangers after that show. So this was a 75% of the vote, the Usos right behind them. I don't think justifiably so because the Usos are also have been a team that's on fire. It because they're part of the bloodline and I like the angle that they've been running with them. It's been fun. Now we're going to get to match of the year. And the nominees, it's so tough to choose because these are probably four. This is one of the best years for wrestling in general, just in terms of the quality of matches. And the four I'm choosing are matches that I've given five links of Boudin, and I've wanted to kind of like break the bank a little bit, if you will, for that. It's Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson from AW Dynamite Grand Slam, which was hands down one of my favorite TV matches of all time. Lucha Bros versus Young Bucks and AEW All Out. Walter Dragunov 2 from NXT TakeOver, the last TakeOver ever. And then Brian Danielson versus Adam Page from AEW Winter is coming. It's Omega versus Danielson by a mile, 53.3%. Close second was the Danielson-Page match and Lucha Bros Young Bucks were tied. Walter or Gunther Dragunov 2 was at the lowest 6.7% of the vote. This was hands down one of my favorite matches in AW's history and probably one of my favorite TV matches of all time. I'd say it's a I'd say the second best ever 
Because to me, what was a phenomenal main event, you know, type match was the Lesnar Kurt Angle Iron Man match on SmackDown. That's something that I will always remember. And this was the next best thing to it. It was a 60 minute draw. And these two went all out, putting on a banger of a match. Danielson Page was just as good, if not better, because there was a, I mean, there was a great story being told. Can you make a Brian Danielson in terms of just the sweet science of pro wrestling? That's exactly what that was. It was perfect. Now we get to Walter versus Dragonoff two. These two were beating the tar out of each other. It's probably not as great as the first edition of these two, but I think well, Walter Dragonoff two is hands down one of the best, you know, NXT matches to put on the last show of the black and gold era of NXT. And then they went up going to NXT 2.0 and some people didn't really care about it anymore. Then we get to moment of the year. This is more sentimental stuff. What you enjoyed the most. I put CM Punk returns. Hangman page wins the AEW title. Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson show up in AEW, and Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks main event. WrestleMania night one. Banks Belair main event. One with 55.6% of the vote. CM Punk returns was second place. And I got to disagree with those fans. Again, there was a clear Bel Air bias. How about that hashtag Bel Air bias in some of these polls? But I think CM Punk returning was hands down a moment that changed the face of professional wrestling, maybe forever. Because Everybody had to tune in their TV to Rampage. Everybody knew what was going to happen. Everybody had that feeling. I talked about it whenever we did the emergency podcast after CM Punk returned on a Saturday after Under the Dome with CD, which you can hear Saturdays on the game, 1037 Lafayette, and now 1041 out in Lake Charles. But that said, CM Punk returning was hands down a phenomenal moment that got more people back into the sport of professional wrestling. It was reminiscent of the pipe bomb promo of a lot of other things that have gotten people back into pro wrestling, sports entertainment, call me, call what you want. That was one of my favorite moments. And I get goosebumps every time I watch that entrance simply because CM Punk's one of my favorite wrestlers again, full disclosure, but CM Punk, put on a phenomenal promo and established himself as being back at the top of his mother bleeping game. And it was amazing. So that's, that was kind of disappointing to see Bianca Belair, or Sasha Banks, which deserves a conversation in terms of best moment. And they put on a phenomenal match, a five links to Boudin worthy match that fell short of the market. If not for the fact we had like 20 other matches, that were even better than that one. A phenomenal main event for night one. The right person won. And Bianca had a really solid reign. Of course, it ended early, but it is what it is. Now we get to the pay-per-view of the year. This is another one that was really dubious and really surprising, at least to me. AEW All Out, WrestleMania 37, Nights 1 and 2. AEW Double or Nothing and GCW Homecoming Night 1. WrestleMania. 37 wound up winning out, having 50% of the vote. The other 25 going to all out and double or nothing. They both got 25% apiece. 
Homecoming got no love. And Homecoming Night 1 was a just a fun introduction to GCW for me. That was a, just a phenomenal show. Absolutely loved it. Did a review of it several episodes ago. WrestleMania 37 Nights 1 and 2 were, were good, not great. They had phenomenal matches on the card. Tons of fun. But I just didn't feel like it hit that next level in my heart of hearts. You had a really good main event night one. Night two fell apart. It fell off the the road a little bit. But honestly, WrestleMania 37 was just a, it, it was what it was. I'll go ahead and explain it to you that way. It was it is what it is. It was what it was. So now we get to what my pick was. It's all out. AW All Out, hands down, is probably one of the best pay-per-views top to bottom that has been done in the last 20 years since WrestleMania 17, which was hands down one of my favorite pay-per-view, pay-per-views growing up. This is the equivalent of that. There's not a bad match in the bunch. And every second of that show, you're on the edge of your seat because there's so much you know, shocking stuff that happened. You go back and look at the card. Just from top to bottom, you had a phenomenal start to the show. With a little fun little dark match with best friends in Jurassic Express taking on HFO in the hybrid two. Miro, Eddie Kingston had a hard-hitting AW TNT title match to start off the show. Moxley beating Kojima, Lariat, Lariat. That's amazing stuff. That was a phenomenal contest between those two. Then Minoru Suzuki pops up. Holy hell. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, retains the title against... Chris Statlander in a really good contest. The Lucha Bros, one of the best steel cage tag team matches I've ever seen. Ruby Soho, the, the return of her to the Indies in the Casino Battle Royale as the Joker. The Chris Jericho MGF match was probably the one weakest spot on the card besides Paul White and QT Marshall, which didn't belong on there at all. But you had nothing but great matches from start to finish it was so much fun to see everything going down the way that it did it was just like going full force into a new era of aew and the fact you have kenny omega and brian excuse me adam cole and brian danielson show up at the end of the show puts it over the top for me and i'm surprised so many people voted in favor of mania 37 best promotion of the year aew Impact, uh, I'm going to say Global Championship Wrestling. No, Game Changer Wrestling, GCW. They got no love. WWE was a very close second, which blows my mind. But AEW, clear winner. And I agree with them. I agree wholeheartedly with AEW being the best promotion of the year. They've handled everything extremely well. They navigated through the pandemic very well. Really established a ton of stars. Jungle Boy, he became a man on his own to a certain extent for a little while, but he's now part of the AW Tag Team Champions. They established Dr. Brett Baker. They really put over the four pillars. Sammy Guevara was able to kind of strike it out on his own to become a breakout star in his own right, going back to Double or Nothing. They were able to start running shows again and really taking full advantage of being a company that is all about the quote-unquote forbidden door. Now we get to the best weekly TV program. Impact, Dynamite, Rampage, NXT. Everybody voted Dynamite pretty much. I'm going Dynamite as well. There's no doubt about it. It's had like 
phenomenal shows from start to finish. The way they've built things around Dynamite, it works. Rampage has been great as well. But I feel like for every great Rampage, is probably four or five that fall a little bit short of the mark. Now we're going to get to a couple MMA awards because we're a big MMA house here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. So we'll go with Fighter of the Year first. And this one was interesting just to see how people were voting. And we go with Kamaru Usman, Charles Oliveira, Thug Rose, and Cyril Gan. Kamaru Usman got 50% of the vote, and I agree with him. Kamaru Usman was hands down having one of the best years. He had some phenomenal matches. Not necessarily my favorite fighter in the world, but he is damn it good at what he does. uh, Excuse me, I almost said match of the year. Fight of the year. The nominees were Volkanovski versus Ortega, Oliveira Chandler, Gaith G. Chandler, and then Jan Sanhagen. I got to go with, hands down, one of my favorite fights, maybe of all time, Volkanovski versus Ortega. This was an absolute banger of a title fight, a main event, probably one of the best first rounds I've ever seen. I can remember talking about it on this podcast. You can go check it out in the archives right now on 1037thegame.com and also 1041thegame.com. That was, hands down, one of my favorite fights of the year and nothing could even touch it but now we're going to get to some b awards and i wanted to make sure that this was a unbiased opinion no fan votes on these b awards because honestly i didn't have enough time to put a thread of like five thousand awards on twitter i would have just done google forms but whatever it is what it is so we go to the b awards First one, best on the mic. It's got to be the man who is better than you, and you know it, and that is MJF. I absolutely have loved his mic work with everybody, especially in this feud with CM Punk, which we'll talk about a little bit later. They have put on some great work, and he's been put over as one of the top guys, especially when it comes to his promos. He is the greatest heel right now in pro wrestling bar none best new promotion i'll go ahead and show some love these guys were going to be shouted out on a podcast a while back dpw deadlock pro wrestling is one of my favorite new promotions that i was able to find out about in the last year and of course they're brand new they literally just flew underneath the radar of the year-end awards and they deserve so much credit for what they've done over the last year, they've grown so much in terms of a fan base and they've actually decided, Hey, we're going to go ahead and get the promotion off the ground and I'm proud of them. So congratulations, DPW best new promotion in pro wrestling best forbidden door moment. It's not as much a moment as a moments. I talked about Minoru Suzuki showing up at all out just the matches he had. He had, absolutely so many crazy matches he was put in and just did it. He had, you know, matches with Moxley, Danielson on YouTube and had one of the best matches of the year. Probably again, I feel like that was probably one of my favorite non-televised matches all year long. That was a ton of fun. So Bernardo Suzuki, just him alone as being a forbidden door moment was great. Most pleasant surprise, I think it's got to be Tony D'Angelo. He's been the lone highlight besides Braun Breaker of NXT 2.0. Everybody else has kind of just felt 
Like, why are we doing this? Why are we making a new NXT when you can just run the same promotion and not change anything? Worst match of the year. It's got to go to the zombie lumberjack match. It was a match I absolutely hated and which I have given negative five links of boot amp. This absolutely sucked and nobody gained anything from it. The Miz actually got injured from it. So like people lost opportunities because of that. Worst show of the year. It's got to go to Extreme Rules 2021 almost solely because of the fact you had Charlotte Flair destroy Alexa Bliss, rip up, rip up, rip up the doll, the screwed up spot with the Alka-Seltzer, and the ruining of one Finn Balor. Worst gimmick, Alexa Bliss, because they made that gimmick so corny and hokey, even more so once they went out on the road, whenever you can't really do the stuff that you were doing, the cinematic stuff's got to go. And they kept that thing running a little bit too long, and there was no real point to it. Then you release The Fiend, really giving her character no direction. Then you go ahead and send her off for a few months to go have surgery. And then she comes back, and she's basically the same exact person just getting her head fixed. Okay, whatever. Worst weekly show's got to be WWE Raw. Hands down has to be the worst show of the year 2021. So you know what? That's what I got in terms of this year's awards. It's great to kind of do this for the first time ever. And hopefully you've enjoyed it. And we'll kind of keep the conversation going right now when we talk about one Shane O'Mac. And there goes the money. So it's been a very interesting week for Shane O'Mac. The man absolutely made a complete ass out of himself. And we'll kind of go back to the Royal Rumble because that's where the story starts and kind of ends. Because the men's Royal Rumble match was an absolute turd sandwich. We talked about it last week on the pod. But turns out we find out probably the biggest reason why it stunk the way that it did. And it's not because Shane McMahon simply helped produce the show. It's kind of to a certain extent because he wanted to make that a little bit too much about him. And a lot of reports have come out over the last week. And we're going to go with one of the more recent ones that popped up. At the time we're taping this, this is Saturday. So Sean Ross brought this up on Saturday. About how reportedly Shane O'Mac wanted to pitch an idea of him being the number one spot, the guy that comes out first and he'd have a spot that highlights him very well. But Vince personally told Shane, we're not going to do that and told him the changes and said, he wouldn't be doing much of what was laid out by Shane O'Mac. He talks about this and pitches the idea to Vince and Brock, who was already clearly going to be the winner after they made rechanges. And neither of them were really happy with the idea. So Shane basically was told he couldn't do that. And there was also another note that apparently Shane's original number was 29 and they ended up getting reversed at 28. Well, basically order was supposed to come out at 28, but it came out at 29. Shane basically reacted hastily and Randy basically said, he's not coming out to here comes the money. So Shane had to go out and basically he got pulled from everything. He's not necessarily released because he's never really on a contract to begin with. He just showed up and was to be part of the show and possibly be a part of all programming heading into WrestleMania 38. He was part of the plans for it. Reportedly, maybe even a match against Bobby Lashley. 
I don't know anything official on that front, but that's what's been reported. But I'm blown away about this because Shane O'Mac isn't like the young man, but he is no longer part of the company almost six years after returning to the company. And that was one of my favorite moments over the last decade. No doubt about it because of the unexpectedness of it. And Shane O'Mac was also one of my favorite guys as entrance music was great. The Titan Tron was kick-ass. Everything about it was fan-freaking-tastic. Now we get to the part of the conversation about why this may have been an absolute mess from Jump Street. I think it also speaks to maybe Shane's ego and being very much a guy who grew up around the Hulk Hogan's of the world and the whole, that doesn't work for me, brother, Shawn Michaels type stuff. That's kind of where it landed is Shane helped produce the Royal Rumble match. They changed things and he didn't necessarily want to play ball and the ego got the better of him and he didn't like the way the direction his character was going. I don't know why, because He's not a main eventer. He'll never be a main eventer now. He's a part-timer, 52 years old. It's time to, and again, this is something that WWE fails to realize on a larger scale, but at the end of the day, they've got two big name drawers and two big names that are going to wind up getting asses in the doors, namely Ronda Rousey, and Brock Lesnar. Yes, they're part-timers. Yes, they're not necessarily the most liked people by fans. But at the end of the day, you're getting a box office draw. People are going to want to go into watch that match. Something to see how they fare. If they fall apart, fall flat on their face, who knows? But that's why I'm wondering, why does he have to be, in his mind, a centerpiece of a big storyline or even one of those big three or four main events you get every WrestleMania because that's the way they build it. Every match is a main event or somewhere along those lines. And over the course of two nights, you have quote unquote, two main events and Shane O'Max, one of them that doesn't work in my mind. I think he would fit much better in a spot he had at WrestleMania last year in the steel cage with Braun Strowman. Perfect spot for him. Wasn't at the top. Wasn't at the bottom. It was somewhere right in the middle of, And it was a fun storyline reminiscent of him with the big show. And this is where I'm at. He wanted to be part of the chamber and everything, but it's not going to happen now. And I'm kind of glad, but also it makes you wonder what are the plans going to be for the WWE with Bobby Lashley and with the WWE championship? Because personally, I think they need to unify the belts and have just one unified championship. This would be the golden opportunity to do so. And then you can do the match and run that back at Mania 39 with the women's side. Because the plan is you're going to have Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch. And if you're going to run it back, you need to have the highest stakes possible for that match. Raw women's title versus SmackDown women's title and unify the belts. And hell, maybe you can do the tag teams somewhere down the line. Because honestly, I think you need to have just four main titles. You don't need four titles among all the, all the brands, four titles for each brand. I think you can get rid of the women's tag team titles in my mind on the main roster. NXT can have it. NXT can absolutely have it, but I think you only need four main titles 
and you can have the flow between brands. That's fine. Hell, to a certain extent, now that you've released a lot of people, you can get rid of the brand extension, the, the split. You've fixed your own problem to a certain extent. And I think you have already kind of also screwed up the brand split, the way you've ran certain angles. Like Seth Rollins, he's part of the Raw roster, but he's fighting for a SmackDown title? I don't get it. That said, I think that's the direction I think WWE should go going forward. Yes, I understand Survivor Series, but guess what? You could probably just run some big Survivor Series angle with Raw and SmackDown anyways. It'd just be a one-match thing, five-on-five, best five against best five. You have title matches on the card as well. I I think you can go back to just having one traditional five-on-five match, and everybody's going to be happy. I just think that having four titles being, you know, your main title, two secondary titles, and then the tag titles. That's all you need. And even then, you can reduce it down to three like the old days. But I think having that fourth one is good because you can have that title. For instance, the United States Championship. You could have that be given to somebody who is getting up there. Or you can put it on somebody who's starting to get, who is on the downturn, but you can put it back on them and build them up. You could do that and keep the Intercontinental title being more of the workhorse championship. Establish what the, each of those titles mean instead of having one title for each brand. It doesn't make any sense, especially now when you look at the rosters, they're not as bloated as they were about five years ago, even three years ago, back when they did the brand split in 2016, even six years ago, that roster is significantly smaller. So I think it's also time to just get rid of the brand split altogether. Again, that's just my opinion. All right, we'll wrap up the show with some thoughts about AEW Dynamite. And there were two big takeaways I had. I didn't see the Mox versus Wheeler Yuta match. I want to falling asleep just as the show got started. Full disclosure, and kind of forgot that it was on TBS, not TNT, for like a split moment. But when I turned it on, it was right after the match. And I was glad I did at that point. So Danielson comes out, and they've been teasing something. It seemed like to a certain extent they were going to run a rivalry angle with those two, which would have kicked all kinds of ass. But then they dropped this one in. Potentially the idea of Moxley and Danielson working together and being sort of a two-man power trip. Give me that, please, right here, right now. That would be a really fun angle to see those two work together and seeing how they would gel. And more importantly, seeing them maybe have a stable, maybe reminiscent to Evolution or even, you know, a Four Horsemen-esque stable to where Danielson and... And your boy just work really well together. I would love to see that. I'm sure a lot of fans would as well. But honestly, it just didn't hit nearly as great. Just thinking about the fact that we're going to have a feud. And then, oh, wait, you just swerve us and say, let's go ahead and do this instead. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. But please just don't drag this out for six months. I want this to be as soon as possible and seeing Danielson and Mox maybe even beat the Lucha Bros or Jurassic Express. I keep forgetting the Lucha Bros aren't tag champs anymore. It's the Jurassic Express. Seeing those two get dethroned by these two veterans and then maybe 
Mox goes after the TNT title or the AEW world title. And these two just become the two like mega powers of AEW. Who knows? But having those two being a two-man power trip would be all kinds of kick-ass. And then we go to the main event of the night. This was what I was most looking forward to. I was disappointed this wasn't the opening match. Because AEW has had a tendency since going to TBS to retain the fans and satiate them is to, from the Big Bang Theory, get new eyes on the product, is putting the first match of the night being the big one. And mind you, they were going to originally have Mox versus Brian Kendrick, which would have been a big-ish match. The fact you would have had him show up right after getting released by the WWE would have been great. But turns out there were some words that Brian Kendrick said on, on a interview many years ago that don't necessarily age all that well. So all that happened, and basically he got pulled from the from the card. He got pulled from it. He's done with AEW. Very quickly they had to make that decision. And big credit to Tony Khan for getting that done. But this was the main event of the night. Punk MGF. And I'll say this is maybe a little controversial for some. It was good, not great. I liked the fact that they did a false finish. MGF got caught cheating. You run the match back and you have them go. Now, another thing that I was kind of confused about, but I came to the realization was that they kind of did away with the 20 minute time limit to a certain extent in this match because the match already gone about 14 minutes and all of a sudden match restarts and the clock restarts. I presume 20 more minutes added to the clock and this match was awesome because he had so many cool spots, the Pepsi plunge, the poison rotter from punk. His rallying was absolutely amazing. Every damn thing he did and MGF did were so good. The angles that were being put together, the spots were good. I just didn't like the fact that we have to continually see the finish of an MGF match be controversial, dirty finish. I understand you want to keep Punk somewhat strong, but if you're going to do that, you got to have Punk get over, especially in his hometown. CM Punk losing in Chicago is just, it was disappointing to see it end, especially that way. And it's a lot like, one of my least favorite things in wrestling, when Goldberg lost the WCW world title to the Wolfpack, to the NWO, to Kevin Nash, because of Scott Hall. He lost not because of you know MGF, it's because Wardlow decided to be a sneaky SOB and hand the, the Dynamite Diamond Ring to MGF after teasing for weeks, tension. He decides to do the job and give him the, the ring, which pissed me off in other ways. Is why can't we have that beautiful bastard turn on MGF and beat the crap out of him? Come on. But nope. We just see something a little bit more, I'd say, disappointing about that match. The fact that we had a finish that got overturned because of cheating. And next thing you know, he cheats to win again. And this time the finish like sticks. Not a huge fan of that. Honestly, Kind kind of weak sauce. I'll just say that much on that front. But hopefully we get to see the rematch at Revolution and Punk gets his win back and they can kind of move on. But honestly, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're just going to wipe it under the rug and move on to another angle with those two, maybe further down the road. 
but that's just my personal viewpoint. And that'll about do it for this week's edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening in. And this has been the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And you enjoy the wrestling this week, next week, and forever. Just don't be a jerk about it, okay? Sounds good? Cool. Peace out.